Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. We are live. Coffee with the Johns. I believe this is episode 15 of season two. Uh, It's not Friday morning. I don't know if you guys realized, but uh, we had uh, John had a commitment that he needs to leave this afternoon. So we felt that, hey, let's try a Thursday see how it goes so if you wouldn't mind helping us out and sharing this on your favorite social media platform and let others know that we are live today and not tomorrow give us a like um with that being said welcome everybody uh we have a lot going on we are going to be talking about some issues that we've been having on one of our new builds one of the lots we just purchased and uh, some other stuff going on in local real estate. We're going to be talking about some local economic news uh, for San Antonio, for Texas, that's going to be affecting you. We're going to be talking about how a day trader got hit with an $800,000 tax bill for a $45,000 profit. So, yeah, we're definitely going to be talking about that. And then uh, Matthew McConaughey for governor. What the hell? Rock for president. And the rock for president. Well, well, we'll get into that and it'll be a fun discussion. During that time, I appreciate you guys just uh, giving us that thumbs up. If you're finding this valuable, it means a lot. And uh, if you didn't know, we have an insider texting community. If you live local or near San Antonio, we do property tours and we let you, only those people that are in our community know when we're doing a property tour. So make sure you join that community. Just text property tour to 210-794-9898. And if you don't live locally, just text CWTJ, Coffee with the Johns, to 210-794-9898. And you will receive pretty much all the stuff that uh, may take us a while to be able to put out on a podcast. You know, you receive everything in real time, real time tips, and you will receive some things that might not go on a podcast that's just private to you guys. So that and then we also have created a real estate, a private Facebook group for investors. And this is purely for education. This is for people to help each other out, educate. If you have questions, if you have things that are not making sense to you in real estate, that's what this group is for. So on Facebook, just search uh, real estate investing the right way. And it's a private group. Answer the questions and you will be let in. Um, But again, there's some great conversations, great people on there, some very, very savvy investors. And we also have some very new investors and all in between. So make sure to join that group. With all that being said, I am your host, John Barbera. And with me as always is co-host, John Barr. How's it going, sir? Good, good, good. Good. So crazy week, right? I yeah, mean, doing this on a Thursday has thrown the whole week off for me. It really did. It's just like going through the week and it was like up to Wednesday and like, all right, I got to do articles and stuff. And you don't realize like how little news like consumed throughout the beginning of the week and the middle of the week. And like, it really was just kind of like, man, I got to get these articles in. But now it's like the week's like, oh, like feels like it just started, but it's Thursday. It's only one day different, but it feels like the week got cut in half. Uh, all of a sudden, so yeah, and uh, and not only that did the week get cut in half, but we we have our routines, we have everything. And yesterday, we decided to uh, a friend of ours, Austin Linney, 
invited us to go play golf with him and a few investors. And I mean, I haven't played golf since the last Black Sheep Open, which was like over a year and a half, almost two years yeah. ago. Um, so we're like, all right, let's go. Let's go do that. Wake up yesterday morning to find out that it seemed like somebody had hacked our server, which contains all of our data, everything, everything. Yeah, five years of information. Everything, everything that we have. And so tee off was at 10, 15 or something. 10, 30, yeah. And I'm, it's like 7.30 and I'm dealing with this. I was like, holy crap. All the employees that we have, everybody works off of the, those servers. So I'm trying to get everything up and running before anybody has to clock in and get all that sorted and everything. It was such a shit show. And it turned out like pretty much what happened was all of our files were being encrypted, right? And the only way to decrypt them or uncrypt them, decrypt I don't know. somebody in Bitcoin is yeah they it was they wanted a ransom pretty much so you had to go to this place and deposit 0.01 bitcoins and six grand and they would give you I don't know and they would give you um the password to decrypt the files but every file was encrypted individually so you would have had to go file by file and decrypt each and every single one oh of those my files God and each one of those files was, you know, I mean, for us, it, we're talking about thousands of files. Oh, oh my God. So, man. I mean, it's Tens been of thousands of yeah, files. It's been such a shit show. Um, then it, things started disappearing from our drive. So, I mean, been dealing with that, it's been frustrating as hell. And, and this is what's funny. We set up an internal server as a protection against anything happening, right? So that internal server, internal server backs up to Google Drive to have another redundancy, right? Just, hey, let's have backups on top of backups, right? What ended up happening is the company that supplied the server was hacked. The company oh was hacked. Oh, my God. They got in through one of these little weak protocols that they had, just like literally like this little pinhole of a, of a place and they dropped the virus. So everybody, and our, the server company that we use is QNAP, everybody that had a QNAP got infected. Oh, so it wasn't just, like, this is news to me. Like, I knew yeah. about the issue, but I didn't hear this story so of everything. So it was a virus that was, it wasn't, because we thought it, was, it came from one of our, uh, somebody, right? Somebody yeah. had a virus in their computer, uploaded it to a folder, which never made sense to me because there's redundancies in place to stop that from happening. Every file uploaded to the drive, everything is being uh checked and scanned before it's done so it's really like you can't upload something yeah uh, uh, at least on our end so it didn't make sense and when i kept looking at all the files and everything i was like but this seems like it's coming from our server not from like google or a file so after digging in and looking at it yeah it came from their end and I mean, they can apologize. They can do whatever the hell they want. The fact is that right now we have lost so far nearly 700 gigabytes of data. That's a, a ton of stuff, a ton of documents, legal, taxes, forms, education. Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I was checking it last night uh, and I was clicking through the file on my phone. And yeah, I was like, all of my market update 
information that yeah. that I've had for four years. All that back data is gone. All the reports are gone. All of our tax and legal advice and everything was gone, wiped clean. I was like, oh my God, but you did that. That first thing yesterday morning, you changed the password to the drives. Right. Well, because I thought we were getting hacked. So what I did was that. I was like, all right, if we're hacked, let me go in, change the password, at least stop them from committing any further damage. Yeah. Right. And luckily what that did was that is like it's also stopped everybody who already had any syncing going or anything, just stopped it yeah. clean. So then it's like no more corruption. Like my, any... my computer syncs straight to Google Drive, not to the QNAP. So when you change that password, everything that was on my computer, minus like the all of our videos, yeah. was synced to the hard drive on my computer. And since and I freaked out there for a minute yesterday. It's like I turned my computer on to do some work yesterday afternoon. I was like, oh, and it synced and it would have erased everything. I had no, you didn't know you changed the password. Yeah. And then I got this morning, the first thing I did is turned on my computer, unplugged my internet and opened up the files and saw everything still there. And I was like, okay, thank God. At least all of that stuff saved. Now it's just all of the yeah. investor's journey, coffee with the Johns, Prime McK all that stuff is the so that's lost. If uh, this hits any of your nerves a little bit of saying, man, poor guys, just hit that thumbs up for us. It'll make us feel better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, new people. Uh, you can imagine how that affected the day yesterday. It was pretty much we were on the second hole and I was already over it. I could not wait to get back because <laughs> to me, this kind of problem and everything, you know, and then being out golfing, I'm like, oh, my God. And what's funny is that I usually don't take any time to do anything yeah. for myself and this uh, and this is kind of like life saying see this is why you shouldn't take any time always work yeah <laughs> so oh i mean it was, it, a, just, it was a fun time especially like you just realize like how dependent i mean your business runs nowadays on internet and oh. servers and things that are like outside of your control to where it's like cybersecurity is a real thing it's a real living growing Thing. It's not like, yeah. hey, I just build this. It's not like a building and I fortify it and it's like now nobody can get in. It's like, no, it's constantly got all kinds of issues on real time around the world of people trying to hack and cause problems. My thing with like QNAP, like if they can't recover all this data, like the lawsuits that they're going to be involved with, like that's their fault that caused massive amounts of damage to everybody that had their equipment. Yeah. They're like, there's got that. There has to be some of their liabilities. It's like, this is your equipment. This is your issue, their entry point. It's yeah. just like all the um, the lawsuits that happened with uh, one of the TransUnion or one of the credit bureaus where so they got hacked and lost like 100 million people's credit profiles. And like the law, I want to, mine got hacked from that and they had to pay for uh, credit monitoring for like a year and a half or something like that and then had to give like the compensation was something minuscule like, oh, the class action lawsuit, you won, you get $10. But they had to like kick off to everybody that uh, was involved. So it is something that is, it's like, man, cybersecurity is a real thing. And it's like, you constantly have to be thinking about that stuff of like backups on top of backups on top of backups to where it's like, now we're going to obviously make changes due to this issue to where it's like, so now every week do we have to have a thing to where it's like, we back up our files every Friday on an external hard drive that's only connected to the internet one time. And that's just to do the backup on Friday and then it gets taken away. Yeah, and I mean, pretty much what I'm setting up now is, is that it's an external hard drive, but that's not connected to any internet. It's yeah. going to be just here and every Friday is going to, we're going to back up all the data and it's going to backed up to that, but that's not connected to anything else. So if anything happens, 
happens, but everything, we, the most we will lose is a week worth of data. That's what we did that after uh, we had an issue a few years ago when uh, our, was our web host, no, our server host at that time had gotten hacked through an email account. Somebody found a backdoor yeah. of his stuff and hijacked all of his businesses, and yep. ours included. So we started plugging it in and backing our stuff up on top of it. Uh, in those yeah. old files where it's just like, yeah, man, you really got to. Crazy world that we live in when that stuff so, happens. So it's been a lot of fun. Um, and add to that, we we bought a, a lot a, a, a while ago, and it had a slab on it. The reason we bought it was because we felt, all right, it has a slab on it. We're going to build building on an existing slab. You know, it's going to be much easier. All we got to worry about is building. Everything is there. We shouldn't have to deal with much crap from the city. No, no, no. You shouldn't have to deal with it. Like went down to the city and verified we weren't going to have any crap well, to deal with. That's what I'm saying. Like we, we try to make sure that we weren't going to have any shit with the city as far as, you know, anything that's already there. Cause you know, it already had plumbing already had electrical at one point. Cause it was a house that had burned down. So it had all the major stuff. It was just building the house and retapping into all these things and activating all these things. So we felt that it was going to be much easier process than starting from scratch. Yeah. We got our drawings back. We got our architecturals, everything we submitted to get our permits. And what was it that they said? Well, they flagged us and said that like, Hey, yes, uh, it's zoned R5 and zoning R5 requires a five foot setback. Well, this, when the house was built, they were uh, zero lot line, meaning that the slab in the house went all the way up to the lot line to where we're within six inches of where our actual property uh, stops. And What's R5? Explain R5. It's just a zoning code. Uh, because, I mean, you have R5, you have R1, 2, 3, 4, 5, you have AE, you have all these different zoning codes. But what does the five mean? I don't even know what the five means. Okay. I think it's like you have to have like a five minimum five thousand square foot lot. Right. Um, it usually has to do with relation to lot size, and mm -hmm. then it's also what type of homes can be built on it, what size of homes can be built on it. Right. It basically tells you like what can be built on this lot, and it's a way for municipalities to control where development goes in a controlled manner, to where you don't have a strip mall or a strip club being built right next to a school. Well, and, or and something the, and the like reason that. I wanted to clarify that is because there's a lot of times that you're buying a house, and I've seen this a lot with investors where they're buying a house and they say, hey, this house is big enough. I want to convert it into a duplex. I want to convert it into this or this lot. I want to build four houses or four duplexes or whatever. And it's like the zoning matters. Yeah. Is the zoning allowing you to do that? And yep. that's why R5 or, you know, what is it? MF33. Uh, you know, all these different types of zones or CD, ZD, one, IDZ, IDZ, that bullshit in the historic areas. Um, all those zoning parameters, they matter a lot because if you're buying something, just thinking, I bought it, I should put whatever I want on it. Yeah. No. Well, it's also, I think Houston does it like they don't have zoning codes. So there are some cities that do have a wild really? west style. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I'm like, I've never verified, but I remember people talking like, yeah, Houston doesn't have zoning codes. And to me, like, like doesn't have zoning codes or just like has very basic zoning codes. Right. Um, and I don't know to where it's like, but it, I can see why zoning matters to where it's like, Hey, yeah, you don't want strip clubs and gas stations, truck stops going back to elementary schools. And you have this hodgepodge of stuff. But, strip club next to an elementary school is not allowed. Uh, what are the parents supposed to do? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, obviously if Houston is correct, like it does yeah. work that way. And that's kind of the analogy where like the private sector and the public sector do mesh and do create a better 
quote unquote society or economic development plan. Um, All right. So taking that into account. So we it's zone R5, but keep in mind, we already have the slab in place. Yep. So we need a five foot setback. Yeah. Yeah. They basically said, hey, you can't you're it's a non-conforming. What you're trying to build is non-conforming to the zoning requirements. And I'm just like, what do you mean? Like. The slab was there. Like it, it, the house was built in the eight nineteen eighty one. Like obviously, it was designed to be a zero lot line. Like how did this happen? And I went down there, and originally, what had happened is basically when they platted that from raw land to this development, they originally had turned it into townhomes. Which townhomes allow you to uh, in the code it says there is no front or side yard required, even though whatever the zoning is, as long as it's zoned the the PUD they call it uh, planned utility development. Can't remember what it stands for, um, but allows you to build all the way up to the lot line. And then somehow in 79, somebody refiled a plat doing away with that townhome designation, but then somehow still was able to get through building zero lot lines. Mm. And th- that was the issue to mm. where it's like, so how did they change away from the designation in 1979, but were able to build zero lot line in 1981? And now you're telling me I can't do that. And so as I use the analogy with them, I was like, so you're telling me one of my neighbors house burns down. They get an insurance check to rebuild their lifestyle and you're going to stop them because they're non-conforming out of zoning codes. If more than 50% of the house is no longer there, they consider it new construction. And you now have to conform to current codes. And the solution to that is, is you have to go with the called a board of adjusters, a BOA to request a variance because outside of this zoning to where it's saying, yes, you, we understand the zoning codes and you are non-conforming, but we're going to give you a variance for this specific property that you can go do this. Right. And, but I, I was arguing with them. It's like, and how long does that take? And they're like, well, the next, you have to get in by May 7th. So you can be on the June 7th uh, board of adjusters meeting. I was like, and how much does that cost? Like six hundred dollars. So I was like, so this was a city issue back in seventy nine, eighty one. Somebody screwed up during that, and all these got zoned R five, and they're non conforming now. He goes, yeah, yeah, somebody screwed up. It's like, so okay, we admit that somebody screwed up, and this is where I get a little maniacal. And I was like, so, so the city screwed up, not you guys. I'm not blaming you personally or anything. You guys screwed up, but now you're telling me I, at my expense, have to pay six hundred dollars to fix your issue. And then have to wait a month and a half paying interest, co- um, holding costs, uh, points, penalties, everything. Like I've borrowed the money to build this house because I came to you guys and specifically sat in this department and asked you, hey, am I good to build on top of this slab? And you're like, oh, you're just building on top of the same footprint? You should be good to go. Yeah, you're good. Green lights all, right. all the way. And as soon as I try to do that, you guys slap me with something. And then the guy was just like... I mean, I, I can't speak for, it's like very political, not like saying oh, you're yeah. right kind of thing. Um, and uh, I was like, what can be done? It's like, how can this be fixed? And he's like, well, you have to go to the board of adjusters. Like, I get it. But like, you're telling me at my cost, you're screwed. I just kind of kept yeah. saying the same problem or just different ways. And then he's like, well, let me do this. Let me send the, up the upper management, see if we can get something done. And what the only thing he was able to do is that you, you have to go to the board of adjusters. That is what it's designed for is for these kind of issues. I understand that it was a city's problem back then, but this is the city's solution to fixing these problems, like to grab more money. Got it. Um, yeah. And uh, basically he moved it up two weeks. He said, if you can get your application in by today, Thursday, I got it in last night. He's like, we can move you to the May 17th meeting of board of adjusters. Cause you only meet twice a month. 
though he got me up and, to. And that's, I think, what's been aggravating with this whole thing and what we keep talking about when they say, oh, there's such low inventory and everybody wants to blame the builders, these greedy builders and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's not greedy builders or anything. It's that look at the all the hoops that they make you jump through. And this is deja vu all over again. This is the same shit we had going on with Hackberry with our historic build where we went first hey this is what we're looking to do this is everything blah 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 showed every oh yeah that's perfectly fine that's exactly what we want that's perfect and when you start the process oh well that's a different department like they just keep passing the blame from one department to the next to the next to the next but the ones that get screwed are us yeah because during oh, the whole yeah. time it's like well, no, now it's even us. look it's at the, the delay the end consumer because it's like those costs get passed on straight to like you look at like builders right now like home like home builders have much more lean or leeway than we do um as far as like lumber prices prices went up so they just cancel contracts and raise the prices and for us it's like we have to go by market um factors of what other new builds are being sold in the air we can't or control an entire div division or subdivision of what it sells for um but yeah that that goes right to the end developer like yeah. the, the heavy regulation on these things is like we would love to build affordable housing but we can't afford to because of these issues so well, and, and that's what gets again it gets very aggravating because we try to go through jump all the hoops, do everything. We're, like, we're, like we said before, we're not trying to cut corners, right? We're not trying to cut corners. We're not trying to do something illegal or do, we're trying to follow your rules, but you don't know your rules. And then when we go to speak to somebody, they have a different interpretation of them and they're not even the one that's even allowed to make the decision. No. It's some other department or somebody else. And, and we're stuck in the middle like, okay, guys, Tell me what you want, and I'll do it. I'm yeah. not saying this is what I want, and you guys need to conform. We'll conform to but, what But, I you mean, want. that's also one of the things that, like, I mentioned to you yesterday about the process and potentially, like, joining it, because, like, it's an opportunity as well. Like, yeah. when there's inefficiencies in things, you and you understand the rules, regulations, and processes better than other people, you can get things done. Yeah. To where now it's like... If I would have known this issue beforehand, I could have used this as more of a negotiation for buying this lot. Of course. Front, because we were not the first person to take a crack at this. Oh. Like that actually fell out of contract three times before we found it and contract and bought it from the guy. And I'm betting that's what happened is another developer tried to buy this thing and realized that there was this issue and they backed out. And it's one of those like, I, I spoke with some people that I know that have been through the process before and, uh, described our situation and everything and he's like i said like, i can't tell you're going to be good to go but it makes sense because the city wants development they're not trying to stop development and you're building what, the what exact makes sense it makes sense that we're good to go yeah it makes sense okay. that we're good to go versus because like the the point of ripping down a perfectly good foundation to move it five feet and it's not like you're moving a car that no. start an engine move over and like and this isn't one where we can just cut the concrete five foot off and put a new beam on it because it's tension rod we cut those t those rods the whole slab's gone yep. to where we would have to probably spend 30 40 i mean a new slab alone at that square footage is 20 grand right. but now we got a demo an old one and it's not like you can house you can bring a bulldozer in with and just pick it up and just scrap it and throw it away like no you got jackhammers you got bulldozers you got things that you got to get that foundation out of the ground yep where you're probably looking at i mean 30, 40, 50 grand to do all that work, all the new plumbing and everything to where it's like, it makes, cause like if I told him like, if you make us do that route, 
this lot's useless and now it stays here undeveloped and looking like shit moving forward he's oh. like i agree it's like the city's not trying to stop development they want development but they also they want to they want to get paid for development too well so, it's in you know and and this is not to be i don't know confrontation or anything but it's one thing that we always talk about even with inspectors look just tell us how much it's gonna cost for you guys to let us keep going right yeah. because i i get it it's a money grab for you guys that's fine I'll pay you the money. Just don't keep it. Stop wasting so much time pandering, acting like it's not about the money. You understand? And then you come around and do the same shit anyway. So it's like, guys, can we just speed up the process? You know, I mean, it, it gets very aggravating. And this is what's always funny is whenever we hear somebody that is not either living in the city or not doing this full time saying, oh, I'm going to build a house or, oh, I'm going to flip a house. And they know nothing about building or flipping or anything. And it's like, these are the problems that arise. And like, you did, what did you have to do? It wasn't something that you send a very stern email to somebody. No, you have to physically go down there and get in their face and pretty much stomp your feet, right? Like, yep. you got to be like, this is bullshit. This can't be allowed. Because if not, they're going to be like, what, what would have been the solution? They'll be like, one, either wait until June 7th. That's a whole other month. Two, demo the whole slab that's there, move it five feet, and build a brand new slab. An extra $30,000 worth of work, plus plumbing, plus everything else. I mean, yeah. it, the cost, I mean, now the driveway doesn't line up, so moving that shit too. I mean, yeah. you're talking about a massive expense now that's yeah. like, that was probably your profit, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's looking at stuff like that that's like, if you're not here physically doing it, and trust me, your investor-friendly GC, which I keep having idiot investors always ask for, um, they're not going to solve this for you. Like, no. nobody's going to give a damn about your money and your project more yeah. than you Well, will. they'll come in and say, oh, yeah, we can handle that. And then, well, yeah, this, they'll just blame on the city. It is the city being the, the, the gatekeeper to these oh, things. Of course. Um, but it is it's something that is frustrating when you just kind of go in there and you're like, you have to take this, and that's the risk that goes in with developing, building, mm -hmm. and real estate. It's like there's no certainty. I mean, there's all you can try to do as much due diligence as you possibly want, yeah. but there always can be somebody that's just like, nope, I'll, I'll even through it. Because I'm sure there's going to be surprises. I'm sure there's going to be things, but it is a huge learning experience, and it is like I do see opportunity, and this is why we went further into new build because a beginning investor isn't going to usually take on a brand new house their first house, the first investment deal. They shouldn't. They shouldn't. Um, but that's also why we moved into this space is because of the potential opportunity and right. less crowded space and providing more inventory to the open market. So that is a space we want to move into and it is good to be learning it. But Yeah, it is just well, because it's it, it, even, you know, with the historic home, everything that we learned down there, it's a, all right, well, next time we know what to at least ask for. We know what to make sure to watch out for. We know, you know, more about zoning, more about just because the slab is there doesn't mean that it's okay to build on top of it, apparently, right? Uh, common sense is in common practice. So we, as we learn more, we learn to protect ourselves more and make smarter decisions. And that's where other investors, that's why I always talk about like the biggest priority as an investor, especially as a new investor, is education not profit right yeah. like y people value so much how much money they're making versus what are they actually learning and if you're not learning anything new then what the hell are you even doing
what's the point of doing this? You know yeah. what I mean? Because now you, you're never doing anything new. Market shifts, things change. You can't adapt. You, you don't know anything, you know, because all you've been doing is chasing the money. So that's just, uh, that's just this week. And we're only on Thursday. Very nice. Um, <laughs> with that being said, you are starting to pull some data together. We are on the 22nd. So at the end of next week, we will be posting the San Antonio market update. Thank God we still can. And one thing that I see is that you, you were telling me yesterday is 23 out of how many zip codes? I think it was like 23 out of like 60 something zip codes. 60 something zip codes has their inventory fell again well below one month of inventory. Yeah, 23 zip codes have less than one month of inventory in all of san antonio yeah and then you were talking about like there's even a few some of the hottest ones are less than half of a month of inventory oh yeah i mean it's just insane what we're seeing in san antonio i mean this is something that uh i had it in here i don't know if it was part of an article or what but it's one of the things that warren buffett is quoted very famously for saying you know when everybody is buying that's when you sell. When everybody's selling, that's when you buy. Well, this is when you sell, you know, and we have shifted a lot of our business to selling because mm -hmm. this is the type of market that's like, you list a house for 200 and they'll sell for 215, 220. Yeah. You know, people are overbidding. People are overpaying. Um, it's insane. Everybody is buying houses right now. And nobody is selling, so it makes the inventory even tighter, makes prices go up even higher because you have supply and demand. More demand chasing less supply. So it forces that supply to go higher. So when we see everybody buying, we're selling. Hmm. I mean, what else are you seeing with that, with the market coming market update? I mean, it's one of those, I was just trying to pull it up, but won't let me uh, find it. But it was like across... All of San Antonio, we were below two months of inventory. I think we're below a month and a half. It was like 1.26 or something like that. So insanely low. <laughs> and then some of these massive, massive zip codes with less than a half a month of inventory. Huh? So we're like, my God, what, what, what happens with this? How long does this go yeah. on for? Like, what does it do? Where it's like, it pushes out your first time home buyer. The person that needs the credit, sure. the, the help, needs the FHA loan, needs the the credit assistance, the the down payment assistance. It's like, for me, like I'm going to go to the person that's got the better credit that I feel like as an owner, as an agent, as a seller, like I would direct all my clients this way. Like I'm going to go towards the more solid offer. Yeah. And what they believe is going to get the job done. Where an FHA buyer has, uh, some, the reason they're going FHA is where either they don't have enough money or their credit score is low. And those two things do not make me confident that those two things can change a deal and let it fall apart. And there's more guidelines that will go along with the house and the appraisal process. Yep. To like, normally we wouldn't list a house for 90 days. So every, all of our houses were FHA qualifiable. Now I'm like, I don't care. I want to get it well, on the market not, as fast as I and can. And not just, I don't care, but it's also, it almost, we almost don't want an FHA buyer because they come with a lot more stipulations and shit like that. That's like a conventional buyer not only can close quicker, they can pay more just to secure where an FHA buyer, most of them are coming in with no money. They need assistance. They need help. Right. So it, it makes it where it's like, well, yeah, you know, maybe we're listing at 200 and it appraises for 200, but 
we have conventional cash buyers willing to pay 215 220 and i mean let's talk about what it is we are a for-profit business so that is profit right and it's not oh you greedy investors are pushing prices up we are not pushing anything up if the market wasn't there to pay for it we would not be selling it yeah so if nobody was buying it if we listed at 250 and nobody wants to buy it we're not pushing that price up we if can't. somebody offers 230 and it appraises for 230 and sells that means the market was willing to pay 230 and and this is where the word of caution comes in for investors in the market right where i keep hearing this time and time again they're buying a house that doesn't make sense right now but they're like yeah but by that time i'm done it's going to be worth more i'm like Unless you're Marty McFly and you're coming back from the future and you saw that happen, like you just don't know. Like we don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know if in a month, for whatever reason, all of a sudden we get a flood of inventory in the market. Everybody just feels great and they're like, we are all going to list our houses. Yeah. Your price, not only is it not going to sell for the ARV that you originally thought, which already didn't work, but you're probably going to have to sell for less than that because that's how prices drop it's not necessarily that you know the market dropped but it's that you do have investors or sellers that they're like hey i need to sell right now yes the value is 190 but i need to sell quickly so i'll probably i'll sell it for 180. i'll sell it for 185. and that's how they do it for 180 185 the next person does it for 180 175 and that's how the values go dropping because people are selling for less just so they can get out of it quicker so as investors Please, please, please. If you're not making money right now as it sits, don't get into it. Yeah. I mean, that's pure speculation and gambling. And it's really curious to see what's going to happen because I am I finally got this to open up and it is 1.26 months of inventory. And uh, I'm looking at this and- That's all of San Antonio. So just all of barely Antonio. over a month. Of so there was 31, 30, 3,133 sales last year, last month. And there was 39.50 active as of April 1 um, this year so far. And I mean, that's heading into the buying season. And I'm watching the, I'm just looking at these numbers. Like we've been at extremely low inventory levels for quite some time. And the sales are picking up and inventory is getting lower and lower and lower and lower as uh, over the last several months. Yeah. So it's something that I don't see it getting better. I mean, one article to kind of shift it mm -hmm. uh, i guess a little bit towards uh some of our other topics um cdc says fewer than three six thousand fully vaccinated americans contracted covid after being obviously fully vaccinated u.s health officials have confirmed fewer than six thousand cases of covid19 in fully vaccinated americans center for disease control cdc director dr Rachel Wanowski said Monday <laughs> that represents 0.007% of the 84 million Americans with fully protected against the virus. Despite the breakthrough infection, she said the vaccines are working as intended with any vaccine. We expect such rare cases, but so far out of the 80 out of, out of more than 84 million people who are fully vaccinated, we've only received reports of less than 6,000 breakthrough cases. Although this number is from 43 states and territories and likely an understatement, it still makes a full, a really important point. These vaccines are working. Of the nearly 6,000, approximately 30% had no symptoms as well. So they had it, but they still had no symptoms. So that it shows that it is working and that, that economies are going to open up. These variants that we keep hearing about obviously aren't 
causing new strains in these old vac these vaccines that they've created to be rendered useless right. to fight it. So that is a very good sign. And I know there's still a lot of people we talked about. I mean, we're purchasing house from a, a lady that she was scared to death that she was elderly and mm -hmm. like I've had people come into her house that she just didn't want that. So I've talked to other agents and other colleagues that we know in the industry. It says, yeah, there are people that still don't want to sell their houses. Yeah. But now their problem is, is like, I didn't want people entering my house. So I didn't want to sell it. Now it's like, I want to sell my house, but I don't know where I'm going to move to because I hear about these horror stories in the market of such low inventory, all these bidding wars and things like that. So I think it's going to be a given some kind of external factor that just grinds the economy to a halt. I think it's going to be a very slow, long process to get inventory to climb. As in, it could take a year, it could take two years, but it's definitely not going to be one month to the next that inventory just comes back and we start to normalize again. Well, and, and that, to that point too, I mean, the biggest issue is it goes back to like, who's your buyer pool, right? Because inventory starts coming back or for that inventory to come back is they need to have an out. But a lot of the people that would like to sell their home or whatever, they've, you know, a lot of them probably need to qualify for FHA or some form of financing that they can't qualify for right now. They, their jobs, they, lo they lost their jobs, their pay, um, what do you call it? Their salary has gone down. There's a lot of people that have been hurting that own yeah. a home that won't sell because they just, they're like, well, I, can, I live here and I can afford this. If I sell this, I won't qualify for anything. Yeah. So that affordability aspect of all this is what keeps hurting it. So it's kind of like, almost like a catch 22. They're not, we have low inventory because people aren't selling, but then they can't sell because they have nowhere to go, which causes more low inventory and prices to get further away from them, right? So it's, it's one of those things like you're saying, what is that factor going to be that's gonna give a boost to income and at the same time, stabilize home prices long enough for their for that boost to take effect and for them to be able to afford to sell and buy the next home. Yeah. Because that, I mean, it's happening with my neighbor right now. My neighbor, he has his home that we're gonna be we're helping him sell uh, at the moment, and he doesn't qualify for a loan, and he's got a ton of equity in the house that he's gonna be capturing, but he still won't qualify for a loan. So he's like, you know what the hell do I do? He's like, I can sell this and he's going to have like, I don't know, like freaking 80K in equity. He's like, I didn't want to put that much down towards my next home, but I won't qualify for a loan. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's it's those things that's like, what the hell happens? What What's the answer here, right? We, we've heard how they want to raise minimum wage and they want to do all these, but that's not an answer. Oh yeah, you're not still not going to be able to afford today's prices. Um, no, 15, and, and as we wage. keep having more refugees from California, New York, and all the coastal cities that are coming in with these massive paychecks, right? And they sell their homes over there for like freaking 800 grand. Yeah. That they're coming down here. They're outbidding anybody. Yeah. You know? I saw a, a little funny, like, uh, I think it was a, a reel on Instagram or something like that. And then this guy goes, all right. It's like today's housing process. He goes, all right, everybody, I'm selling an apple. And the guy goes, well, what kind of apple is that? And he goes, you just, you just sit there and it just, this is how it's going to go. We're going to start the bidding at $5, five dollars, like $5. Why is it $5? $10. Ten dollars? What are you talking about? Is this an apple? It was like, and I was like, can I see the? Nope, can't see the apple. We got it. It's a, it's an apple. You what do you want? Somebody's twenty dollars. Twenty dollars? What are you talking about? Thirty, thirty-five, fifty, sixty, a hundred thousand, or a hundred? Because hundred dollars for everything. I'm from California, and the guy's like one twenty, and he's like, 
why did I even do that? It's like just because the bidding wars of like people coming yeah. in with cash and stuff. And it, it was pretty funny the way he shot the video. Well, and, and that's kind of even almost like the whole NFT thing, right? Yeah. Like you look at it and this is an article I had for last week, but I didn't think we were going to get into it this week, but you brought in a nice little segue to it. Boom. Yeah, there I you go. Do that. But the title was not very surprisingly, NFT prices are now crashing. So according to a recent report that was quick. by nonfungible.com, the NFT marketplace tracker, the value of NFTs has collapsed by almost 70% from its peak in February. Earlier this year, blockchain-based digital certificates that give individuals exclusive ownership over a piece of digital art, no matter how many times it gets copied, let, let these words sink in as you're listening, okay? So you're getting exclusive ownership of a digital art piece, regardless of how many times it's gotten copied, exploded in popularity with some works being sold for the equivalent of millions of dollars. Oops. In one piece in particular, uh, one piece in particular created by digital artist. Now we have digital artist, people. That's his name, people. people. Uh, stole headlines when it sold for $69, $69 million at internationally renowned auction house Christie's. But the market for NFTs has slowed significantly since those, day, those heady days, uh, with the individual NFTs now going for an average of $1,400 as compared to $4,300 during their peak in mid-February. Uh, the drop in the value of NFTs shouldn't come as a shock to anybody many of these assets are being sold using cryptocurrencies which are inherently unstable and tend to fluctuate widely over time but now the novelty has worn off and more people are questioning what they're actually getting for their money those who sell nfts will have a harder time winning over the hearts of investors and collectors um you know this is something that we talked about when we first heard it that it took me a while to wrap my head around because not that i don't understand what an nft is it took me a while to wrap my head around why it has value. any any value whatsoever yeah especially when it's like an athlete saying oh i'm gonna sell my highlight reels so you're gonna be the exclusive owner of my highlight reel but you can still go watch them all over youtube like what what the what yeah you know and, and people were like they said like they were paying stupid amount of money over these things now i'm not saying there isn't a place for nfts there's a, i get it i understand it's 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 piggybacking off of the whole cryptocurrency off of bitcoin off of that whole premise that you know it's people that bring the value together and give value to something but it just you know influencers jumped on it quick and they were selling oh. garbage for so much money, you yeah. know what I mean? And I mean, and people with all the stimmy checks and all the shit that's been going on, they've been putting in all of their money into this, speculating and speculating and Dogecoin and Bitcoin and this coin and that coin and NFTs and that NFT and it's going to be worth more. And well, that's the thing, like the, the Dogecoin thing, like it actually serves no economic purpose. It was created as a joke off of a meme. 
and yeah because it's a picture of like a husky right like yeah smiling, like uh, some stupid yeah. little thing yeah and like it's so now its only value is that somebody else thinks this little funny coin is worth more but it actually is something that's like but it, it does have some form of value it's well, like people are buying musk it and, tweet about it like wasn't he promoting it too oh uh, he just put like dogecoin in a rocket ship emoji. yeah and yeah. then everyone's like oh my god everyone's buying dogecoin and it's just because i mean but it is something that it's like it could hold value it was the first joke meme cryptocurrency out there and enough people bought it and thought it had value that it kind of could have value long term but that's the thing right like it has value because people think it has value it's artificial doesn't exist it's not tangible uh you can't even like pretty much buy anything with it you have to convert it to some to dollars or just something yeah. of actual value of something that can be traded and i mean it's just like bitcoin just, though like you can't buy anything in bitcoin without paying taxes correct. on it like, well not paying taxes i'm saying like that you can't go directly to a supermarket and buy yeah. a, a i mean you could, do that, with, yeah, you could bitcoin. do that with bitcoin and stuff like that but right. you still have to pay taxes even though you paid in bitcoin which just sucks what do you mean you have to pay taxes like if you paid say you bought bitcoin at twenty thousand, yeah and you go to try to buy a piece of something go buy something at the grocery store and it's now sixty thousand, you have a realized capital gain of 3x and you have to pay taxes on that gain even though you bought a oh, product with it well you still have to pay but you have taxes to pay taxes on. if you sell sixty thousand worth no. you what do you mean you, if, you, if i go to the grocery store and i spend ten dollars at the grocery store what the hell does that have to do with me paying taxes because that's that's what i was telling you like the u.s like they're still going to tax the piss out of us even if you're transacting a bitcoin and you bought it at twenty thousand, and you're it's now worth sixty thousand. and you go buy something with that bitcoin the u.s government wants their cut of that gain because the tangible asset that you purchased did not go up in value but your value of your thing went up against the u.s dollar and they will tax you on that gain but the but they Okay, so explain. How do they this. track that? I don't they, know. They tax you on the gain regardless when it comes time to taxes. What does it matter if you use the money or not? If you use the Bitcoin, like they're going to tax you on that sixty gain regardless. Yeah, that's the same. You didn't have to convert it to dollars to go buy that piece of bread or buy the buy a loaf of bread. Right. You bought it in Bitcoin. Right. But since Bitcoin appreciated so much, they want their tax value on that gain for that loaf of bread mm. because the Bitcoin for the loaf of bread. Yeah, so if you transact with Bitcoin completely in the United States, they want to know how much did you pay for that Bitcoin to how much is it worth now that you're buying this good in the U.S. And they will tax you on that difference as a capital gain. How they're going to track that, I have no idea. But Well, everything is digital. Everything has, I mean, that's even the, I guess, the like the upside and the downside of Bitcoin is based on the blockchain. Yeah. You can see everything on the blockchain. You can see when you transferred it, why, where, how, who, yep. everything is documented. That's why, like, before they were saying, you know, oh, Bitcoin is being used by uh, drug lords and all these. It's like, well, then those drug lords are kind of screwed because you can see you exactly. See. Like, you, you, you figure out their wallet and it's like, <laughs> yeah. I just discovered everything. Yeah, you look at the blockchain, yeah. which is open source. And you can see exactly where the money came from and where it went. Yeah. So, so that you, was the crazy thing about it is like, they will still tax you on that gains. Like well, even if you try to buy Bitcoin and transact only in Bitcoin, like every time you buy and sell, like you have a capital gain and a capital loss of that right, value. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so it's like, unless you're buying like a lot of it. And if uh, you buy it in a Roth. 
Oh, there you go. Uh, Biden yeah. Roth. I don't know how you're going to transact with that, but yeah. yeah. It's just the complexity the of like how card. these things are to where like my, everyone thinks, oh, it's the way of the future. Like U.S. government is not going to let control go to where if it becomes a problem just like that, they know your wallet and they can go back and say, well, you bought it at 20. You haven't bought anything again. We're going to implement um, first in, first out rule. Yeah. So your most appreciated asset has to be the first one that you sell versus the first, in, what is it? last and first out kind of deal to minimize the gain. So I, I want you guys to go into the chat and I want you to tell me if you bought Bitcoin, if you own Bitcoin, why do you own it? Like what made you get on Bitcoin? And if you haven't, why not? I'm, I'm very interested in seeing people's psychology on this, on their thought process on why own Bitcoin and why, why not own Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Because uh, I don't. I believe we talked about it last week, but you know, to me, Bitcoin. I do see it as a store of value because yeah. the the market, um, ad, ad adaptation that it's man, English is just not working for me today. The market adaptation that Bitcoin has received in the last decade proves that it's like all right, this thing is really doesn't seem like it's going to be able to go away and it doesn't seem like it can be even taken down could they tax the shit out of it and all that yeah i'm sure they're gonna try but just like everything people are gonna find ways to still get it done right so i see it i do see it as a store of value i see it kind of like almost owning digital gold right not a derivative of gold but like gold in a digital format mm -hmm. that's how i see bitcoin but I don't see it as instead of, I see it as a diversification of your investments. Yeah. Be clear here. We're not giving financial advice. We're not accountants, attorneys, veterinarians, chefs. Um, actually, I'm, I'm pretty decent as a chef, but uh, we're not. We're I don't not, have a culinary degree. Yeah, we don't have a culinary degree. But that being said, the way I look at Bitcoin is just another basket to diversify into right so you have a little bit of bitcoin you have a little bit of physical gold you have real estate you have some cash you have some guns and ammo you have food you know what i mean that's how i look at bitcoin in that category yep. i don't look at it as an investment i don't look at it as a speculation i don't look at it as a trade i look at it as you set a certain amount of money every month you allocate to buying bitcoin Whatever price it is, it doesn't matter because you're buying it as a preservation of your wealth mm -hmm. in case anything happens, anything was to move or whatever, you have a little something to protect you, right? That's how I see it. But there's a lot of people that are looking at it like, oh, I'm going to buy it now. And when it goes to a hundred thousand, I'm going to sell and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, if it goes to a hundred thousand, you're selling into dollars but dollars doesn't, they're really not worth that much anymore. That's why Bitcoin went up so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, so it's losing the faith in it. And I mean, people are gaining faith and then losing faith at the same time, as far as the relative amount of dollars and liquidity out there in the market. And that's what it creates is like cash goes somewhere. Yeah. Like it's got to find a place to go. And then right now it's finding NFTs, cryptocurrencies, real estate, uh, stock market. I mean, it's going really pretty much everywhere, but bonds and the government uh, or the feds, the one buying them all. Yeah. So, so with that being said, we talked about taxes and stupid people. So what about this wash sell rule? What the hell is this? What happened? This was, this was crazy. This it, is it, a fun story. So 
I was listening to one of my normal podcasts I listen to every week, and there was like a little about a 10-minute segment uh, from it. And it was in, and it was talked about financial planners as a financial planning uh, podcast. And he was talking about a guy that uh, had this $800,000 tax bill. So here's here's the and I found an article on Forbes that talked about this. And it was a Robin Hood trader faces an $800,000 tax bill. Over 8 million people opened new brokerage accounts in the past 3 or in the first 3 quarters of 2020. While the thrill of enormous stock gains may have provided a much needed distraction from such for distractions for some during the pandemic, unintended tax consequences are now manifesting for newbie investors. In one jaw-dropping case, a Robinhood newbie is facing a potential bill of 800,000 despite only making a net gain of $45,000. He had between $200,000 and $2 million in trading volume per day, completing between 10 to 50 trades daily, according to Morningstar. And this is a quote from a financial planner that got a text from this guy. Is a young man calls me and says he or he opened a brokerage account with $30,000 in 2020. He transacts he transacted 45 million. Yeah, that's right. $45 million in total trades for a net profit of 45,000 by year end. He recently received his 1099, which was 500 pages long. Normally they're like five, <laughs> 10, but every time he did a trade was a single line, exit trade, single line, 500, a ream of paper of just transactions. And, um, and in and he, as he input the into his TurboTax, and he had a 1.4 million dollar or 1.4 million in capital gain income and a tax bill of just over eight hundred thousand dollars. This poor troll soul traded all of the popular stocks you see in the media consistently all year long. He never knew anything about the wash sale rule. He booked a profit, but was disallowed all the losses because he never once waited 30 days on those stocks to book the loss. So the wash rule is an internal revenue service regulation that prohibits somebody from claiming a loss by selling and purchasing either the same or similar security within 30 days of the sale at a loss. To comply with the rule, investors must waste wait at least 31 days before repurchasing the same investment. So example, yep. he jumped into GameStop and then lost a bunch of money and then jumped out. So now he could have, and say it was at a hundred dollars and it dropped to 80. So you have a $20 loss. So if he would have waited 31 days before he jumped back in, he could claim that loss. But since he jumped back in immediately in and out, in and out, in and out, he eliminated that wash sale rule to where if he jumped out at the $80 and then jumped back in at $75 the next day and it rose to a hundred, you're going to get tax. And then he sells it again to get that what would be the net gain of $5, but then jump back in it again. Yep. He can't claim any of those losses, but he still has that $25,000 profit from 75 to hundred when he exited, jumped back in and he can't claim it from when it dropped to hundred to 80 because he jumped in and out. And that's how he had $1.4 million in gains because at December 31, 2020, he had an open position in oh. with these, some of these stocks because he was jumping in and out so much. And so he couldn't claim any of the losses. He only had a net gain of $45,000, but he has $800,000 tax bill because he did not exit those trades to where, yes, he will eventually be able to claim those losses. So he closed his position in, say, 2021, January 2021. He will not be able to claim those losses until January 1 of 2022. So that tax bill is still real for 2020. The problem with that is he worked at a job only making 60 grand a year. 
So he, yeah. he doesn't have $800,000 where the government's yeah. not going to like him. And I think it's like if you have over $50,000 in uh, loan outstanding to the government, like tax bills, they'll start leaning all of your stuff. 100%. And can come back and start taking things from you because you owe them money. I just wonder what does he have for lean? Like, I mean, at, at 60 grand a year, like what, oh, what does I he have that they could actually lean? I don't know. And like I was looking at that and it's like he has to live like 800000 on $1.4 It's like that's over 50%. It's like so he's had to live in like california new york that has insanely high income taxes so the government's going to start coming could couldn't start coming after these things i realized that he could probably play the innocency card and they're not going to come start taking all his tax bills like avoiding taxes they'd probably just confiscate the broken oh, account or something i, like I that. would start first of all i would start filing extensions after extensions to not file my taxes so the problem is you could do that but that bill is still real so when you do file your losses you owe the back interest on not filing even though you're filing extensions you still owe the money you're just not being oh, penalized. The, in, the interest is still collecting from yeah. what, like May 15th or the, whatever? The, the tax date. You just don't, they're oh, not, they're just not going to come after you and try to like penalize you more, but like the interest is still due. Ah. So a entire and year. What, do you know what the interest is? It's like, it's like a, so many percentage points over prime, which is basically zero right now, but it's still like, I think it's so like, like four, four, five 5%. Like, so four or 5%, call it, let's call it 4% on $800,000. Call it five for simple math. That's forty thousand dollars in taxes, or forty thousand dollars in interest only. Interest over how what period of time? Like a year. So ten percent would be eighty thousand. Five percent would be forty thousand. Uh, but forty thousand in taxes in a year. So it's five percent annualized uh, interest. Yeah. So I mean, it's over the month. So basically, oh. it's not compounding or anything like that. But so, so, it's so the next 40 year, grand per year, pretty much in interest divided by the twelve months, and that's what he's paying. He would have he to would pay, have to he pay, to pay monthly, monthly interest. So if he does the extension, 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 by the time he goes to file his taxes to claim those Ooh. losses so they don't come leverage and lean all of his stuff and start taking things, which they very well could, and to capitalize force, on the loss. Like four cells, right? Like yeah, force force I mean, that's like somebody avoiding income tax. And they come like, like they Wesley Snipes who the, who or anything. His, his name was? No, they they didn't disclose his name. Uh, he's only, uh, he was only a 30-year-old 30 uh, year old kid. Oh, so he probably doesn't even own a home. Because I was like, that's yeah. the guy you need to be marketing to right yeah, now. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's so you can be a do those extensions seller. and you can uh, you he'll be able to deduct all those losses and stuff and to, uh, remove oh, the eighty thousand dollar tax bill, but that still doesn't get rid of the forty thousand dollars in interest you know, that you have. I I used to do day trading. What was it like ten years ago, more or less? Uh, that was like one of my first starts in the entrepreneurial world. Is I started doing day trading, and but even then, like my foundation into investing was rich dad poor dad. As cliche as that is, that book has been the fundamental to all of my investing decisions moving forward from that moment on, because it's been always thinking, like Kiyosaki always talks about, you know what I mean? Be smart, be patient, invest for the long term, think through things, right? And, and I read like pretty much all of his books. Yeah. Every book that he had come out with, um, I read them all. I studied the psychology of it. I, I, and not only just studied it, but it clicked with me. It was something that yeah. just made sense. You're and not the I only agreed one it with. with, huh? You're not the only one it clicked. No, with. but I mean, what I'm saying is like, there's a lot of people that follow, you know, the, the douchebag, uh, Grant Cardone or, uh, what's that other one that's always like showing his house and his cars. Ty Lopez, that moron. So there's a lot of people that are like, Oh my God, they're so cool. Huh? I like their hair. And, to me, it's like they had they're 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 idiots. Yeah, they make money because they sell fluff, 
But like Kiyosaki is boring because he, to me, I like his way of investing. Sounds stable. So that was my foundation. So when I started doing day trading, the first thing I did was go speak to an accountant. Hey, how, how's day trading handled? What are the tax implications? I even asked him, do I need an LLC for this? Do I need to run it as a business? You know, like yeah. we went through everything. And a lot of those questions, knowing what I know now about business, it's like, okay, yeah, the, those were kind of stupid questions, but I didn't know any better. But I went to the professionals to find that shit out instantly, right? Nobody's doing that. Right now, people are speculating like crazy, not understanding what the repercussions are. Not understanding, and not just in the, I mean, the stock market is by far one of the biggest parts. Uh, Robinhood has made it so easy for people to day trade. Back when I was doing it, I mean, you had to, you had a minimum to open up an account. And with that minimum, you had a limited amount of resources that you can actually invest in. Mm -hmm. Because there were other things that they're like, no, you're too new to invest in something this creative or this strategy or that strategy. You can't leverage, yeah. you can't do this amount of trades. You can't, you know, open all this without having the money to back it. So like, you can't do a lot of this kind of things without being able to back certain things. Right. And even if you had a huge windfall, like they still wouldn't let you deploy like the whole thing and leverage or any of that stuff. But now with Robinhood, with all this, like it's making it so easy for people to get into trouble. And now, please hear me on this. I am not saying we need regulations, okay? If you've heard any of these episodes, you know I'm extremely against all forms of regulation. What I am saying is that you need to take ownership yourself of what you invest in mm -hmm. you need to want to know the ins and out of what you invest in you need to know how to protect yourself how to protect your money what are the repercussions if you don't care to learn those things to find those things out a lot of these things can be found out right now simply not even a google search you can do a youtube search and you'll have great great videos by accountants attorneys Oh, Everybody telling yeah. you, here are the implications, here are the problems. Here's a the five-minute video, right? Like, it could at least give you a good little uh, idea of, like, how bad can this really get? Yeah. So it's on you to do this. And people don't. People are so lazy. People are just following the, uh, like, they're TikTok. sheep. They're, they're just like sheep. TikTok. Yeah. You just buy a stock. And it goes buy, up. Buy a stock that's going up. And you make money. Yeah, buy a stock that's going up and then sell it when it stops. And that's how we fund our whole lifestyle. I quit my job. I'm like, holy crap. You know, yeah. like, so when that strategy stops working, what do you do? You just lost yeah. everything. <laughs> because people like that don't do it like very securely where they're like, oh no, let's, let's be conservative with the people that are getting in trouble are saying, here's all my money. You know, kind of like that that podcast interview that we heard of uh, the, this gentleman. Um, uh, what's his name? Pump, pump, pump something. He has his own podcast too. But uh, it's Andrew Schultz is the host of this podcast. It's called um, God Deranged too. I think it's called something like that. But great podcast, great interview that he talked about all about Bitcoin. And he says he's like, I'm ninety six percent in Bitcoin, like. And you're a 100% idiot. Like, why would you be... I wouldn't be 96% in anything. Yeah. Not even real estate. Yeah. Because it's like... And if I shut off your power, 
you're broke. Yep. Like, <laughs> you know, the internet yeah. goes down, you're broke. Yeah. Like, you, you know. Somebody hacks something. Yeah. And you're gone. You're, you're done. So, I mean. Those, like, then you don't have insurance. You have FDIC insurance, FDIC insurance on your bank accounts and your brokerage accounts. You have all these things that companies are liable, but like somebody hacks Bitcoin and nobody yeah. coming to replace your Bitcoin. Well, one, one thing is that we had a comment here from Brian Pauling that he says, I can't touch it or hold it. Governments will take control. You've already covered it by taxing. It's inconvenient as a person to person. Uh, if I had... If I had in a hand Starbucks, if I oh, if I hand Starbucks five dollar bill, I get a coffee transaction complete. So I get what you're saying, Brian. But here's my thing: how I, I look at it, and you know, and I'm sure you you share the same way. Is that just because it's not something that you can touch or you don't maybe you don't like? does not mean that you shouldn't be a little bit exposed to it, especially when it's proven this level of track record, because I think that that kind of mindset could get you into trouble, especially as the world keeps changing. As we keep seeing is the world, we, we actually read a book on like exponential growth and the world, you know, it took how long to invent the TV. Then it took how long to go from like a TV with three channels to multiple channels from black and white to color then from color to flat screen then or to big screen then to flat screen then from flat screen that was the plasmas i remember it was this like heavy ass fucking tv we had to reinforce the wall to hang yeah. it and then if you uh, left it frozen for too long like yeah. it would burn the screen or like the yeah the screen the freaking like if you had the the plasma that would start glitching and oh man it was funny but from plasma to led from LED to 4K, 4K to 8K, every time we go from one to the next, it's it's almost like half the time and even less, yeah. right? Where now it's like almost every year something new is coming out. So that's exponential growth. Technology is doing that. So if you right now are saying no because of whatever, you know, it's not tangible, it's not this, it's not that, you got to understand we're not moving backwards in technology. We're moving forwards. So eventually you're going to have a tough time in this world. Like, unless uh, you plan on dying next, you know, next week, which please, sir, don't, you know, we like you, we care about you. Um, but unless you're planning on like, you know, this is it, I'm kind of done. You need to start embracing these things. That being said, I don't believe that you should go all in on anything, right? We discussed that. But yeah, so as far as that goes, Brian, I, I think you should open your mind a little bit more to it. You know, maybe dabble in it a little bit, try to understand it a little bit more and, and just look at it as an investment. Don't look at it as, you know, it's not tangible. It's stupid. Only kids are buying it or whatever it is. Like, look at it for what it is. Do I think it's overvalued? 100%. I think the only reason it's this high is because everybody got a stimmy check and they all dumped it into a stock that was going up. Yep. You know, that I do feel like it's going to come down. Oh, I mean, it's, you have... Elon Musk coming out there and buying 1.5 billion worth of it, and yeah, uh, for Tesla. And and uh, credit, we talked about it before. Credit card companies are, you know, going, uh, doing cashback returns and bitcoins. There's a lot of things. A lot of companies are embracing it and everything, but I still think it's overinflated by uh, people that are speculating. And when anything shifts in the market, those speculators are going to be the first ones to jump ship because they're yeah. they're emotional. Right, they're gonna get scared. So I, I do think it's gonna take a hit, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that you need to understand that this thing is, it's pretty good. 
You know, it, it, it looks like it's here to stay. It looks like it's, you know, can it be taxed? Can it be done? Oh, 100%. Gauge yourself, uh, protect yourself against that. If it's going to be taxed, invest it in a Roth IRA, uh, Roth IRA. You know, open up a Roth. Open up some form of a tax haven like that. And then it can grow in there tax-free. I mean, there's a lot of, I think, strategies that can be done and implemented. Um, with that being said... You wanna you wanna talk about uh all right all right all right all right all right all right yeah let's do what that a, or the he he's he's a I like him I think he's a he's a cool guy I think he has a lot of swag uh he's a Texan he, he's a Texan right so uh Texans uh born and raised and became a pretty good actor Matthew McConaughey may be a viable candidate for Texas governor so. When I read this, uh, I was like, what the freak of nature? I was like, he's running? I didn't know. It, it doesn't seem like he is officially running. Yeah. But I know he he's has made, at it. Yeah, he has made some hints at it and everything. And he's right now a professor at um, UT. At UT in Austin. And so, and he's gotten a little bit more political over the last couple of years. He's, he's spoken a little bit more. And with the whole being a professor thing and everything, he's done a little bit more. He's gotten into it. And I don't know who started the rumors initially. And then he was asked, I believe it was on Jimmy Fallon. And he's like, no, no. Like every actor, right? At first it's like, no, I don't want to do that shit. And then like they sit on it a little bit and then they start thinking and it's like, well, maybe, I don't maybe know. Maybe I actually could do that. So, so Matthew McConaughey leads Governor Greg Abbott 45% to 33%. That's huge. That's a huge margin. But his middle-of-the-road appeal may not open an easy path for him to November's finale. Exports. Warren Spurts. Experts? Exports. Exports. It's, uh, it's, a, it's the New York accent there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but um, Matthew McConaughey commands more support to be Texas' next governor than incumbent Greg Abbott, according to a poll released Sunday by Dallas Morning News and the University of Texas at Tyler. However, the film actor and political newcomer could hit potholes in either major party's primary if he enters next year's governor's race, the poll found. For months, McConaughey has tested political pundits. That's what I meant. McConaughey has teased, I'm telling you, I just need bigger text. McConaughey has teased political pundits and TV talk show hosts with musings that he might enter politics in his home state. If he were to take a plunge and run for governor, the poll found 45% of Texas registered voters would vote for McConaughey. 33% would vote for Abbott and 22 would Vote for someone else. <laughs> I love how 22 are like, no, screw both of them. I'm voting for whoever else is going to yeah, run against like, them. I don't like either. <laughs> I don't even know who that is, but I'll yeah. vote for them. Shit, we might run. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> we already got 22%. Yeah. McConaughey's double-digit lead over the two-term Republican incumbent is significant. The poll conducted April 6th through the 13th surveyed 1,126 registered voters and has a margin of sampling error of plus or minus 2.92% points. So, I mean, not a crazy margin either. 
But 56% of Republican voters said they'd vote for Abbott, compared with only 30% for McConaughey, while Democrats broke 66% to 8% for McConaughey, not a surprise, and independents 44 to 28. More than twice as many Democratic primary voters, 51%, said they wanted a progressive candidate for governor than wanted a centrist. So 51% want a progressive candidate over a centrist. That's, that's kind of, that's telling right there. You know what I mean? That the fact that I, I would venture to, like, I want to know where this 1100 registered voters came from. Was well, it like also, all that's, from like that's what, university kids or was it democratic primary voters? 51% said they would, they wanted a progressive candidate. Yeah. Those Democratic people saying they wanted somebody more progressive than a center. It's not everybody. Right. Right. Yeah. Democratic. Okay. Yeah. But still, I mean, they, they want, you know, they want to keep going more progressive versus centrist, which is what you think everybody would want is somebody that's more in the middle, yeah. not further to one side or the other. Well, it is true. Like if you yeah, have, you pulled 20 to 25 year olds at our university, it's like, yeah, that their voting does go for being more progressive towards things because they haven't been smacked around by real life yet. Yeah, and McConaughey, he, he does consider himself more of a, as a moderate because I'm curious, like, where does he, he fall? And I think he kind of falls in the same place where we fall, right? Where it's like we don't consider ourselves Republican or Democrat. We think they're both doing terrible things because it's all political and not mm -hmm. anything for the people. So... What do you think about this? What do you think about McConaughey running for governor? Would you vote for him? Like, I don't know. What it, do you think? It's just like, and it's the same thing with like The Rock. I got an article pulled up for him too. Of just like, all right, well, your entire career is being an actor. What do you know about politics and business and? private sector versus public sector and conjoining the two and getting things done. Like your entire career is in some other field, but now you're saying you're going to enter this new field and be successful at it. I mean, I mean, Schwarzenegger did it in California. And I remember talking to my uncle a long time ago out there. I was like, yeah, I had really hopes for uh, Schwarzenegger. But after his first term, he, cause he went in, they repealed one other governor and he snuck in and then won't won a second term. But he's like, he really didn't do much. He got really kind of locked up the uh, political system and stuff. So I don't know. I like, I'd want to hear this, their values and what they think and what they're trying to do. And then I don't know how that would work. It just like, cause you have no party connections you have to get lawmakers to do certain things. You have to talk to business communities. You got to understand what the needs of the people and the business community and do what's right for the overall both. You have to blend that and not be heard by one side or the other. And like these corporations have big money. They have lobbyists that know how to work the system. And you get somebody new in there that doesn't know how the system works. It's how you can take advantage of the system. So hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, this is also assuming that if Matthew McConaughey was to run or even the rock, right. For that matter that they're running and saying, you know, we're completely by ourselves making all decisions. We have no advisors whatsoever that have the experience. Right. Um, which I doubt that would happen. It's kind of like yeah. that, that famous example when that, um, a reporter was interviewing Henry Ford and he says, well, what the hell do you know about this to be owning such a massive company? What do you know about, 
this part or that part or this part and he's like he points to his uh phone in the thing he's like you see all these buttons what question do you have i can hit a button and get you that answer yeah. you know i don't need to know everything i just i'm the head i have the people that know everything right yeah. so i think they could have a, a group of trusted advisors people that maybe they feel reflect what they believe in advising them on what the right process would be for all these things yeah, I mean, that being said people yeah that being said like my appeal to um mcconaughey or the rock or people like that is i try to look at their their character over anything else right yeah. because you say oh what do they have to run well look at the politicians that are running now they're morons like yeah, yeah they've been in office for biden's been in true. office for 47 years the hell does he know though like, I mean, he yeah. just knows how to stay in office, right? So it's the same with all of these. Like, when you have politicians that keep it going there, like, they lose all contact with the people. Yeah. They don't know what the hell the people want. They don't know what the hell the people need because they're always in Washington or, or, or doing political campaigns or raising money. Like, they're not paying attention to what it is. Where I think somebody that's outside of that political space it could be either really good or really bad in the sense it's like, well, they don't know shit and you can tell, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And they're making one mistake after another, or it, it could it be is, like, they just run it with more common sense and like, wait, you know, I get that's how it's done. They but are that connected make sense. more to the people I would say than some politicians. Yeah. Cause like they, they obviously have huge fan bases that more than any politician usually has. Uh, I mean, the rock, I mean, the number of followers that he has, uh, on this and McConaughey the same thing so it is a their character and their connections to people and caring for what needs to be done and I right. think I mean this just goes to show it's like the reason Trump won in 2016 they were tired of seeing career politicians and it's like and now that's why you have these people coming out uh to where this Newsweek article for The Rock has said at least 46 percent of Americans would support a presidential run from Dwayne The Rock Johnson as like they're like we're trying the, the free market the voters are trying to find somebody else. They want somebody else. But you, the way our political system is set up to where it's like you have two parties that aren't going to relinquish control, to where there isn't really an avenue for an independent person to really come up and raise money and spend the kind of money that these two parties have. Like you really almost have to kind of go between the two if you want that power behind them, the corporations, the money to get into power well, and not well, be now, suppressed. Let's look at, like, I, I, I'll be curious to know, like, what what is all that money really for that they're being bought for? You know, when these politicians are paid by uh, all these other companies and everything to run for president and all that, where is that money really going to for that political candidate as they run, right? Is it going for marketing? Is it going for branding? Stuff like that. If it is, you're the rock. Like, I mean, it could be. Like I mean, a huge you literally or... just go live on your own channel yeah. on Instagram and you'll have millions of people watching instantly. Well, then it's like, also you talk about like the ability that he has to manipulate social media to his advantage. Like, that is one thing where I could see social media being a difference. It's the equalizer yeah. where you don't have to go on the TV, exactly. where like literally, like, you can't even get in front of people to raise money to compete with the RNC or the DNC. Uh, in the political ad space on TV, television. Yeah. Nobody who watches television anymore. It's like, it's all social media like that Trump utilized it perfectly and executed it perfectly in 2016. Well, and I think too, is that you're going to, with people like them, with the influence that they have, 
even if you say, oh, you know, the, the Senate, Congress, everybody, they came together to go against them to make sure they don't screw up their nicely knitted system that they have. Like, if The Rock can rally over 50% of the country, like, you're going to have a very yeah, freaking 46%, tough time. But it's also one of the things, like, The Rock, like, he, you watch him talk, like, he's a very nice, approachable guy, but, like, immediately if he runs, 50% of the country is going to hate him. Like, there's going to be a lot of people that immediately now have to dislike him, and he has to play that game that he's worked so hard to not take a stance and go either way on everything. But, I mean, it'd be interesting to see. Did you see what he wrote uh, as far as the response on Twitter? When the uh, so, basically, he's, after this, this news article broke, um, he put a tweet out about it, and he's like, not sure our founding fathers ever envisioned a six-foot-four, bald, tattooed, half-black, half-Samoan, tequila-drinking, pickup-driving, fanny-pack-wearing guy joining their club. <laughs> but if it ever happened, I'd be mo it'd be my honor to serve the people. And then he put, like, the, the praying face strong and then the American flag. My thing is, like, I would just, like, it would just be so funny to see The Rock standing next to all these politicians of, like, the dude from canada or the people from china like he's huge he works out he's massive and like yeah. you see like a picture it's like all these like politicians that are kind of just blah, like body wise is kind of worn out and you yeah. get the rock just like jacked like there's the american dream of just like you know you always get the picture of the eagle with its wings spread over yep. and stuff like that it's like we got the rock standing up here <laughs> this is 290 pound ball of meat uh wow. we're like what would they do with talk about like, a man crush <laughs> holy it'd be, shit it'd just be funny to see <laughs> also like what would it because you know he has that that he built out his like his home gym yeah he's always working out and posting yeah. videos from like are they gonna turn a portion of the white house into like a gym like what would that look like if you had the u.s taxpayer pocketbook like what would you be allowed to do as far as a gym in the white house i just like, can't wait for the the news to be like can you smell what the president is cooking <laughs> <laughs> so um, who would you that, vote for uh, put it put it in the chat see. would you vote for the rock would you vote for mcconaughey if they're to run mcconaughey for governor of texas the rock for president of the u.s would you vote for them what are your thoughts i'm, I'm curious to see what you guys think about this um you know, we and look at it for, with an open mind. Don't look at it like, oh, this is stupid. Like, really look at it because, I mean, we've seen a lot of stupid things actually take a, uh, take effect. So everything is always possible here. I mean, uh, one thing I wanted to get into as well, a little local news of uh, San Antonio. So right now we have an elections going on. So if those of you live in San Antonio don't know that, like, go register to vote and get out and vote. Because um, I think the May 1st is the elections for several propositions and city council and uh, for mayor, obviously. Mm -hmm. But Nuremberg came out and he stated, this is by the San Antonio Business Journal, that, and I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this of the roles between private and public sector uh, as far as like economic development. So mayor wants private sector to lead San Antonio's new economic strategy is the titles like if san antonio is going to close the lead other cities have gained in the high stakes race to land companies jobs and talent it's going to need serious help from the private sector according to mayor mayor ron nuremberg we need the private sector which is vast and diverse to get into the driver's seat and create of creating jobs and growing business nuremberg said the public sector does have a 
does have a role, but it doesn't have the only role. In fact, it probably doesn't even have the primary role. The San Antonio Economic Development Foundation is crafting a new strategic plan aimed at improving the region's ability to better compete with other Texas markets and, uh, and with cities outside the state, including Denver, Kansas City, Nashville, Phoenix, Seattle, and others. Stacked up against several of those cities, San Antonio ranks low in economic performance, quality of life, and education attainment. San Antonio's EDF's five-year plan would deliver 140,000 new jobs and $55 billion economic impact to the region over that period its leadership its leadership projects. The plan would cost $39 million to execute. What is your take on that as far as him saying that the public sector does not have a primary role and it should be the private sector that drives the economic strategy, which seems contrary to the way that they govern the city? I mean, that's exactly it, right? Like, it's it seems very contrary to everything that they're doing, that usually all the laws, everything, like, it's against the public sector. And now... It, it was kind of one of those things that upset me when even Abbott did that he when he recently said, oh, Texas is open and here it's on the businesses whether you let people in or not. It's like you can't like pretty much chop off the balls of the businesses and then say, OK, now now it's on you. Go figure it out. Like, well, you, you took it from me first. And now you bring it back to me and make me look like the asshole if I do let people in or don't let people in or require masks or don't require masks. Like you put so much pressure on me as a business, right? Where everything they do, like it affects the 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 public sector. It affects, you know, private businesses. So do they have a place? A hundred percent. They're the ones that provide the majority of the jobs. They provide all the economic that the, the city generates. So it's like... I don't know what it's politics. Like, yeah. I just don't see him doing shit about it. You know what I mean? Well, like, it's also he's up for election. So it's that's like, we all, want the private sector yeah, to take control talk. of this. We want them to do this. But behind closed doors, once I'm elected, I'm going to run it the way I want to run and, and try to control businesses. And that's kind of what I look at. And, and not so much like vote this way or vote that way. It's just you're talking this, but let's look at what you've actually done, though. You know what I mean? Like your policies don't reflect what you're saying. Yeah. They, they haven't. I mean, he's a two-term mayor at this point. So yeah. it's like that's four years. So look past his, his previous policies. I mean, especially during the COVID yeah. crisis. And you will see exactly what their thought process is. They may say one thing, but this is how they really feel. And this is where they govern. Yeah, they, they um, took all rights from businesses. They took all rights from that. They, they screwed the over people, so like, many businesses. And then it was like, well, go figure it out now. And now it's like, oh, the business sector really needs to step up. It's like, dude. You know, like you yep. can't have it both ways. You can't control us and then be like, okay, now go. Like, yeah, so you go build your business just so we can tear them down and tell you what exactly. to do. That's like, come on. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I, the words are nice. I would like for that to happen. I agree. We've talked about the actual stats, how, you know, 50% of over 50% of the employed people in the country are employed by small businesses. And about 50% of the income is generated by small businesses in the country. So we drive the market. We drive everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when you're looking at those numbers, it's like, yeah, that's, that's just common sense. You don't need to be saying it. You know what I mean? But again, the politics, they're running. Get out and vote. All uh, Early voting is out now. Pretty much anywhere that you can vote, you can go ahead and cast your vote. 
this is where it matters, people, because, you know, everybody talks about the presidential elections. It's kind of like, you know, everybody that watches the Super Bowl but doesn't watch any football games, right? Yeah. It matters what happens during the season, not necessarily what happens in the last in the Super Bowl, right? The, yeah. the season is what determines like how the outcome of the Super Bowl is going to be. And it's like your local election is what's going to determine what happens at a national level. It's who are you letting into office? Yeah. Because these are the people that you let into office that control the policies locally, that then that goes into the state, the state goes into the country, you know, everything goes up and it affects everything. So if you don't like the way the things are and all this, and we're debating, you know, electing the rock as president, why don't you start thinking about maybe we should start working on our own backyard so then we can actually have a very highly qualified, educated president running. Or the president. people that like want to run for president or you have a lot of these business people that are like, I think they would be a great candidate to help run this country. But you're like, screw that. Like, I don't even want that pressure. I have no idea that ambition to put up with the BS that you have to do to run for public office. Like it's just not worth it for them or it's just not going to happen. Um, but another article, that goes right inside with that is about the uh, EDF, the Economic Development Foundation. So how EDF plans to get SA in the mix with the hottest U.S. cities. So San Antonio Economic Development Foundation is working to put the to put that retooled game plan in action. The nonprofit will need to raise millions more in to fully implement that comprehensive playbook, and it's launching the effort in the midst of a global health crisis that has shaken San Antonio's economy. For years, we have compared ourselves as a community to our past performance, and we have incrementally improved over time. San Antonio's EDF president and CEO, Jenna Sosandino Herrera, told me, even on the heels of 2019, which was a great year for us, if you look at the long-term true health indicators of our economy, we don't stack up well with those top performing economies. The new plan is designed to put San Antonio in a more competitive position with several key markets, including Austin, Charlotte, Nor Charlotte, North Carolina, Dallas, Denver, Kansas City, Jacksonville, Florida, Nashville, Phoenix, Seattle, and Washington, D.C. Stacked against those places, the Alamo City ranks 11th in economic performance and education attainment, according to analysis by Market Street Services. San Antonio ranks 10th in quality of life and only two spots higher in workforce competitiveness. Under the new five-year plan, the NEF will need to raise $16.5 million on top of the $22 million it's already budgeted, including $5 million for work essay from the, for the period. Those funds will enable the organization to boost corporate recruitment, back airport improvement efforts, and build new branding to better market the region. So they didn't really go too much into their plan. They referenced, oh, we need to implement this new plan, this new plan, this new plan. Like, what is it? So they're basically they're trying to boost corporate recruitment, back airport improvements, and build new branding, better marketing to the region. I mean, everyone everyone knows those things are important. It's like, what are you specifically oh. going to do with this money to put us in the tune of Austin's, the the Florida's, the Dallas, the Kansas City's, the Jacksonville's, the Phoenix, like these other boom cities out there? Like, what exactly are we going to do as San Antonioans to make our city because i do agree we have a very beautiful city we have plenty of road system we got plenty of growth we have the housing but something is always lackluster here and i think it really starts at downtown because you see the bs that they say one thing oh, yeah. but then they don't back you up when you want to do it we want density but you're trying to develop density we we're not going to help you you need to figure out how to do that like no you need the policies that in place that allow us to do the things you're wanting to do you can't just say it and expect us to figure out with your old antiquated oh. 
rules and, and to laws. that point over over just you know the the that whole shit the policies and all that like you just need to have your committees or whatever it is you need to have them connected because it seems like they are so disconnected from each other because you have the city saying one thing but then hdrc let's say can do something completely different and then the 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 hoa can do something completely different and then this can do something there needs to be some at least some level of hierarchy where it's like hey the city that's focused on the economic development of the city has the final say yeah you know and you can stipulate on like the stupid little things that matter for your area so like hcrc okay you stipulate on the silly little things that like you know the siding you use or the windows or whatever right but like if the city approves that's one area that does need to be stripped of its power is HDRC because they do see not just only historical stuff, but all new commercial development as well. So if they want to build a new building downtown, the process you have to go through to get that approved through historical design review commissions, yeah. like it's, it's, it's extremely dumb and they have way too much power for what that they approve and don't approve. That's why like, I think, you know, it's one of those things that beyond we need money, we need money for this. We need money for that. You need to fix your system first because you're dumping more money on top of a already broken system on a system that doesn't communicate with itself, that has holes and issues everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be dumping millions of dollars that's essentially not going anywhere because now it's like, oh, let's do this over here. And then it's like, but then you have all this failing over here. Okay. And then we'll deal with that in the next election. And it's just, what do again we go back to the same thing what do we need to say to get elected this year right this election this thing but nobody's looking at the long term what can we do now that is going to survive even our own terms in in politics right what what policies what rules what shit can we do right now that's gonna go further than our political term limit and our political life lifeline here so those are the things that I'm more interested in. Those are the things that I'm more curious. And there's been a few of you that have approached me on um, on being uh, like a researcher for us. So this is something that I would love for you to research. Uh, what is these? What are these things that they're proposing? So you know they have this economic development plan. What is it? What are they developing? What is the actual plan? Where is this money going to? Let's look at it because it's very easy to say the same thing like uh, Biden's been saying with his uh, infrastructure plan. Oh, here's my, uh, you know, my infrastructure, my infrastructure. We're going to do roads and bridges and whatever the hell. Great. Where? Which ones? How? What's the timeline? Like, I want to see the scope of work, damn it. Yeah. (laughs) Show me me the scope of work. Show me the money. (laughs) So those are the things that I want to know. And for those of you that you know, are just joining us, or maybe you don't know, uh, you got to make sure you join our text community. You understand? 210-794-9898. And just text us, CWTJ, and you'll be a part of Insider Tips, uh, training, a bunch of stuff, discounts when we do workshops, a ton of stuff you'll be a part of. And if you live local, you'll be a part, you'll be able to join our property tours. And these are, again, these are tours that we're doing uh, of our own projects, everything. You'll be able to see our scopes of work, everything that we do in real time. Ask your questions and, and 
poke and ask and wonder and whatever you're wondering about flipping, building, all of that, it's your chance to ask. So if you live locally, text property tour to 210-794-9898. Um, it's great value. People enjoy it. We had a blast last week. Um, people had a lot of great questions, a lot of good stuff. So we keep doing them. You keep texting, we keep doing them. So, um, but yeah, as far as the policies go, this is the same with everything we talk about. Where's the details? Because everybody talks headlines. Every yeah. politician, we're going to do this. Where's the detail? I want to see well, the scope it's always of like the headlines with this new stimulus package. It's like, oh, this is the, the highlights of it. But then you didn't realize, like, because it's $1.9 trillion. And then, like, if you really dig out of the details, like, how many millions of dollars are being sent overseas yeah. for pet projects and other things over around the world? It was like, what does that have to do with what's going on here in the U.S.? Yep. Like, why are we funding these things? Like, the Smithsonian getting $27 million grant. Like, <laughs> Okay, yes, I get the Smithsonian's a cool museum and stuff like that, but like why are they getting a grant? Like I don't uh, scared the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the roof was falling. I know. I was like, what the hell's going Um Yeah, no, I agree. I mean they they they're they're putting money into stuff that don't and then we go back to the same shit, right? It's not that you shouldn't be you know, the Smithsonian doesn't deserve this or whatever. It's just that I think there's other priorities in yeah, place, yeah, right? We 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 just got hit with this massive economic, you know, devastation. Businesses were put out of business. Uh, companies shut down. People unemployed completely. People are losing. I mean, once they stop with all of these uh, uh, forbearance and extensions and everything, like I'm actually very curious to see how people are going to handle the process of shit now i'm actually getting foreclosed and i still can't afford this house and i can't afford the next house and i don't know where the hell i'm gonna mm -hmm. go you know and i gotta downsize but i have all this crap with me like what do i do all that stress all that anxiety that's gonna cost because yeah. a lot of people always talk so easily about oh well you just downsize what's the problem you're not taking into account the psychological effect that it does to people when they just literally lost their livelihoods. Yeah. You know, it's not that there's an option or they have a way out, you know, or yeah, you'll get a roof over your head. It's just a smaller apartment or whatever. It's the psychological effect of, I just lost everything and it wasn't even my fault. Right. It was something that a freaking virus caused. Yeah. Like it, those are the things that I'm more worried about. And those are the things that I, to me is more priority than the Smithsonian, you know, and it's just, I don't know. It's how I look at it, but I did want to touch on this article real quick. Actually, we'll leave this article for next time. Um, what I did want to cover was I had a listener send, send me a question and on through Instagram and he says as young kid. He says, so I'm thinking about getting my real estate license and also investing my first thousand dollars that I've saved up and I don't know where to start or where to put my money so I can get on this investing stuff. And this is Robbie from IG. So that was his question. And I know I'd tell him to start. Go ahead. Invest in yourself is the first thing because a thousand dollars is a lot of money, but it's also not a lot of money when, and you can, if that's your only thousand dollars, you can lose that very quickly. If you're trying to jump into like stock market, trying to get behind trends, especially when you don't know what you're doing. 
I would invest that in a series of books. Um, I wouldn't get into much like the personal development courses and stuff like that. Cause I think you're, you're entering like kind of scam city there with a lot of them. Um, but there's numerous books that you could read to figure out what piques your interest. What do you want to do? What do you not want to do? You want to get in this real estate thing, read books on real estate to see if like, it's actually something that you're interested in and passionate about. If you can read the books, there's not even a whole lot of them out there that I would say recommend because they're all very repetitive for the sense. But I would start with that to see like, do you like those books? Read about money and how money works. There's a fantastic book that I suggest everyone read. It's called The Truth About Money by Rick Edelman. It's a very high level view of across all things, personal finance, investing, to buying cars, to buying houses, to investing long-term, to all kinds of things. So, I mean, it's a very easy read. I'd say everyone should start with that. And then reading into Rich Dad, Poor Dad, reading into a um, book that Jack Bogle wrote about uh, investing. I can't think of the name of, name of it right now, but there's I, that's where I'd say it would start. If you got $1,000, like spend a couple hundred dollars, and you're not even talking $1,000 that you have to spend. Like continue to save and buy $200 worth of books and read through those and see if you actually get consumed by and are interested in that. What say you? I completely disagree. Um, I think that was the worst advice you could have ever given. Mm -hmm. No, I agree 100%. Uh, that's like, it's not how you started or anything. <laughs> so that I, I agree. And my advice to him was, I told him, I was like, first, you need to figure out what this investing stuff means to you, right? Yeah. What is it? What options do you have when it comes time to investing? Are you interested in flipping? Are you inter interested in rentals? Are you interested in wholesaling? Are you even interested in single family? Do you want to do multifamily? Do you want to do commercial? There's a huge space of everything. And I wish they did an updated version of this because of how real estate's changed. But a book that I really liked was, I don't remember the name. That's good. It's uh, It was by Robert Kiyosaki. It, it wasn't a very famous book, but it was a thick ass book. It was called like, I want to say it was called like the real estate book or something. What I liked about it was it covered every area of real estate. Oh, really? Like it covered, you know, mobile homes. It covered everything, everything. And that's actually the, one of the first books that, taught, uh, that where I learned about wholesaling. I didn't know about wholesaling uh, way back then. Like, I think I read it like 10 years ago or something. And that was around the time it came out. Um, and that's where I came across this investor at the time called Dean Graziosi. Um, and he was all about wholesaling. And that's where I learned about it because they talked about wholesaling. They talked about everything, every industry of real estate. It had a, a you know, a professional in that industry talking about it. So I went through it. I was kind of looking at him like, oh, this is interesting. No, I don't like that. Uh, I don't like that. And when I saw wholesaling at the time, I, like everybody else, I'm like, yeah. what? For $10? I can make five grand. Woo. I'm going to be rich. Yeah. You know this, what I mean? I put a easy. lot of $10 in there. Yeah. <laughs> so the book is called the real book of real estate by Robert Kiyosaki. And, and if you text start to two one zero seven nine four nine eight nine eight, we will send you a list of the books that we recommend you start with if you're getting started in real estate. We, and these are gonna not necessarily all be real estate related, but these are the books that we feel are a must. After these books, everything else is up to you. You should not invest any more money on education. You should invest more of your time into actually doing. So 
with all that being said, what I told them was, you know, a, I was like, look, man, you need to first figure out what the hell do you want to do in real estate? Yeah. When you figure that out, when what you say, you know, uh, and then don't get me wrong. It, this doesn't mean that what you need to figure out what you want to do in real estate for the rest of your life because it changes. But right now, right now, I'm interested in flipping houses. Okay. Go find yourself a local flipper, somebody that's actually rehabbing houses. And I'm talking about quite a few houses, but at least 10 a year, somebody that's doing some volume, go to them and be like, how can I provide you value? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to, where you're flipping houses, do you want me to go door knock everybody there and see if they want to sell their home? You know what I mean? Like, what would you like me to do? How can I bring you value in exchange for you showing me everything about flipping houses? You become their mentee. They become your mentor. Many, many investors will do this. We do this. Somebody comes to us and says, hey, look, I'm willing to learn. I, I'm willing to do whatever you want. I just, I want to learn. What do you need? And you're really willing to put in the work? We'll put your ass to work, but you will learn. I mean, anybody that's ever worked with us, any wholesaler that's ever partnered with us, ask them if we don't share everything. I mean, we share how we manage the books. We share the contracts, title, closing, scopes of work, contractors. We well, share so much that they even stop asking questions. Well, it's one of the like, things that people has asked too. Like, why would you give so much of that value away for free? Why don't you, it's like, one, I, I, I know how much work, we know how much work this takes. Oh yeah. It's like, we're in this 24, seven, 365, constantly dealing with the headaches that are involved in working in this business where it's like, we work. And like, I'll give you my full business plan, but it's also one of the things like, I believe that we'll work harder than you at it. So you and I can take on the same strategy, but it's also, we've built this business to where we're at, to where like, we learn these lessons by going through these, to where being told something and actually experiencing and learning it, yeah. two completely different schools of thought and the, the kind of the school of hard knocks theory um, of how we learned it to where it's like, I'm fine sharing everything we have. You have a real question? I hide nothing from you. I, you're training your competition. Not really. Like, no. No, if you look at it that way, that you're training your competition and all this, you you have such a scarcity mindset and you don't understand what it really takes. You haven't done this. If you have done any level of this, you understand that's like, yeah, share it. Because, and, and I mean, not only just share it, how many times have we actually sat down with somebody and shown them like step by step, what is it that we're doing? They still don't do it. Like, I did the workshop on all, literally our marketing strategy, everything that we're doing, everything that we're using step-by-step, step, they're still not doing it. Yeah. You understand? They still have, and we, I showed them everything. Like it wasn't anything that you're saying, oh, but you left this out. No, I showed you where we get a list, how we filter our list, what service we use, how we upload to the service, everything. The thing is that it takes a lot of work to do it. Yep. And they won't do it. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, like I told them, if you're not willing to work, just don't do this Yeah. because I don't know what you've thought or, or who's lied to you, but this is not something that's easy. Not a, the, like a side job. No, that you do. by any means, this is not something like, it, it, like a lot of people doing the side, but it's not. Or like a lot of gurus were pitching it. when I got started for 10 hours a month, you can make 15 K like, fuck. I'm willing to work, you know, a hundred hours a week. Yeah. Like, I, that was my initial introduction to all this. Like, that's why it took me so long because I felt like I was broken, <laughs> right? Like 
I felt like I was doing something wrong because I'm like, man, I am busting my ass yeah. doing this. And they're giving me example of some hillbilly like in middle America that's making like 25 grand a month. And I'm like, I know I construction. I know why, everything. That's why like, I said the first on? thing I said with $1,000 is don't go out and try to join personal development courses and gurus. things like that. Gurus. Because like they all, they sell you with that. That's like, this is the one-stop shop to making your life instantly better. Just pay me, give me all your money, and I'll teach you how to do it. It's like, no. no. Like, that's why I don't start there. I was like, you need to understand what the real world is really like, especially the younger you are. I mean, we're not even that old either. Like, we're still learning every single day. But it's also like- We, we will do- never stop. We will never stop learning. Yeah. I mean, it's how many times do we take on, and this is an episode that's actually, um, uh, I think- no, it dropped already. So this is an episode that came out Wednesday. And I talk about when to choose whether you're going to flip a house or you're going to keep it as a rental. How to determine that. And the biggest thing is that a lot of people, they're like, well, obviously it depends on the numbers. No, it doesn't. Because we have houses right now that they all make sense for rentals, yet we're flipping them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I talk about uh, the different, the four different, op- five different opportunities that a house can bring to you that is what's going to determine whether you're going to keep it as a flip or you're going to uh, uh, keep it as a rental or flip the house. We talked about that because that's the stuff that you need to be analyzing. You know, market conditions, partnership opportunities, learning experiences. And there's a lot of times that we've taken on a project that we had a strategy that would make us more money, but we used something else because it was going to help us in a different area of our business. Yeah, You know, because... Profit is the last thing we look at. What we look at is what area of our business do we need more help in? And that's what we look at first and profit last, right? I mean, profits last on everything we do. It's just yeah. been a bit of an issue for us. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we put profit way too far last. <laughs> but, okay. you know, th- that's how we do it. And, but that's why we're still in business and why people like working with us, you know? And uh, I saw a- uh, Andrea on here. She had put that the the property tour that we did last week was great, and she learned a lot. So it was great having you there. You asked a lot of great questions. Um, but yeah, that's that's that that was the advice. Find somebody local, give them your time, give them your value. They're gonna educate you. They're gonna teach you. But you gotta be willing to put in the work. You know, a thousand bucks, you're not gonna get anywhere with a thousand dollars. But like you said, buying these right books. And listening to the right podcast and and learning the language, like that's, that's the biggest thing. Immerse yourself in real estate. You Mm. need to be learning everything about real estate. You know, the more you learn, the more you're going to figure out whether you like this, you don't like that. You're going to be even better to serve somebody that's willing to teach you because you're not coming fresh off the boat, let's say with no knowledge. Yep. So that was my advice to him and your advice. So I, I hope that helps. And with that being said, we're, we have 10 minutes left, so we're just going to, we got a lot going on, so we're going to just uh, end it here, wrap it up. Yep. Sounds good? Sounds good. So hope you all liked it. Uh, again, give us that thumbs up. Show us some love. If you're listening on the podcast, head over to YouTube and give us that thumbs up. Uh, means a lot. Helps us out a ton. We're trying to get out there. We're trying to get more people to see us and know about us. Uh, just so they can get this value that we you get you guys see if you're listening we put everything out there's nothing we hold back there's nothing we don't share we believe in doing real estate the right way and we hope that you are 
getting value out of all of the things that we're doing and all of the things that we're sharing. With that being said, next week, we will be back on your regular scheduled programming Friday morning, 8 a.m. And for now, thank you all for watching and have a great week.